in his book, Where is God When It Hurts? A guy called Philip Yancey tells about the experience that motivated him to write that book. John and Claudia were close friends of his. They'd been married for just a year when Claudia was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, cancer of the lymph nodes. She was given only a 50% chance of survival. So after emergency surgery, she had radiation therapy that took its toll on her body. This is what Yancey says. Beauty fled her almost overnight. She felt and looked weary. Her skin darkened. Her hair fell out. Her throat was raw. And she regurgitated nearly everything she ate. They were strong Christians. John was actually a hospital chaplain at the time. But an unexpected anger against God rose up within them. God, why us, they cried. And when well-meaning people from their church came to visit her, things didn't get any better. One of the church leaders suggested that she was suffering because she'd done something to displease God. Another said God had chosen her for this suffering because she was just so strong. One woman said that she should praise God for allowing her to suffer. Another came with flowers and hymns, but changed the subject very quickly any time that Claudia brought up her suffering or her prognosis. And yet another promised healing if she just could stir up enough faith. It's not surprising then when Yancey visited her Claudia was confused by all these conflicting answers. And Yancey that day left with loads of questions for himself. And it was those questions that led him to to write that book. The problem of pain and suffering is a challenge that all of us will face. I know some of us are more impacted by it than others. But none of us get through life untouched by it. So what are we supposed to do with it? What should we think when our lives are impacted by pain and suffering? Is it a punishment from God? Or is it a special calling for the strong? Is it something we should praise God for? Or something that we just try and pretend doesn't exist. Is it always God's will to heal? Well, as we saw last time we were looking in the book of Job, Job didn't have all the answers to why his life fell apart. But he responded in a deeply challenging and encouraging way. But this wasn't the end of his suffering. Things were about to go from bad to worse. So we're going to read from Job chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, and Jason's going to come and read for us. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, 
Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Thanks, Jason. We don't know how much time had passed uh, between these two heavenly cabinet meetings in chapters 1 and in chapters 2. But what we do know is so much had changed for Job between those two events. Previously, when Satan appeared before the Lord and was asked, have you considered my servant Job? It wasn't surprising that the Lord chose Job as exhibit A of what a a man of God ought to be. Because he looked apart. He had lived an exemplary life. He was an incredible father. He was an extremely prosperous and successful businessman, but also had a social conscience. And he had a deep reverence for God. And commitment to him. He was the kind of guy who would have been, who had it all together, who would have been welcomed into any gathering. Somebody who was a good example to others. Someone that everybody would have looked up to. That would have praised. So it's not surprising at that time that God pointed to him. He was a good advert for the benefits of living for God. But what is surprising is that at this second divine council, the Lord again said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Because Job's life looked nothing like it was before. His business had fallen apart. His family had been wiped out. He was overwhelmed with sorrow and grief. No longer the poster boy for a God-honouring life. Not Not what you might think as a good witness to the goodness of God. And yet the Lord was not ashamed of him. The Lord did not distance himself from him and said he was pleased with him he still pointed to him with delight he still called him my servant and he still said there's no one like him 
Why was that? Why did God still see that Job was praiseworthy? Well, look at verse 3. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. He still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Now, if we needed it, here's again proof that Job did not suffer because of sin in his life. Job was suffering here, Jesus, uh, the Lord said, he was suffering without any reason. He was suffering as an innocent man. And yet, despite all his suffering, Job was still the same. Yes, his circumstances had changed dramatically. But his character, his commitment, had not. He still maintained his integrity. He still loved the Lord. And God still delighted in him. God was still honoured. And glorified by him. I think this is, can comfort any of us who feel like our lives are so messy that we aren't really very valuable to the Lord and his kingdom. God is not impressed by outward appearance. God doesn't get excited with worldly success. He's not swayed by public opinion. Man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. So what matters to God is our faith in Him. Is our commitment to Him. Is our desire to live for Him. What matters to God is our love for Him. And this means that our circumstances, they do not determine our value in God's kingdom. Can you hear that? Our circumstances do not determine our value in God's kingdom. Our problems don't destroy His purpose for our lives. We can struggle, we can suffer, and we can still be a witness for God. We can still glorify the Lord. But it's unsurprising that Satan wasn't impressed by all of this. Previously, he'd questioned Job's motives for respecting God. He believed that Job was just committed to God for selfish reasons. He claimed that if Job lost everything, Job would turn around and curse God to his face. Of course, Job proved them wrong. Because when everything fell apart, Job fell to the ground and worshipped the Lord. But Satan wasn't about to concede defeat. Look at verse 4. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. Now the meaning of the, that, that first little phrase, skin for skin, is a bit debated. Some people have suggested that Job was 
willingly accepting the loss of the skin, the, the lives of his family, because in return God had saved his skin, his own life. But Satan's next words are clearer. What was he saying? Saying everybody has a price. Yes, losing his business, losing his family was costly. But if his life is at risk, then you'll see what job is really like. People will do anything to protect their own lives. I think we can see evidence for this, can't we? This, news, this week in the news, I read about a guy called Brian Johnson. He's a multi-millionaire, a tech entrepreneur. And he, so far he's spent $4 million and the last three years of his life, full-time, developing a system that includes things like 111 pills a day, a carefully controlled diet, an intense exercise regime, and even some strange things like wearing a baseball cap that shoots red light into his scalp for some reason. And he has done all of this to try and extend his life. He calls himself this, a professional rejuvenation athlete. He's trying to get younger and younger and younger as years go on. He's aiming never to die. We'll see how that turns out for him. Now, we might not go to that extent. I don't think any of us would. But this year, our government is going to spend something like 24 million, sorry, 24 billion euro on our health budget. All of us to try and keep ourselves healthy. So we as a nation are trying desperately to keep well. And as the saying goes, your health is your wealth. People will do anything and spend incredible amounts of time and money to protect their health and safety. So Satan believed that if Job's health was impacted, then his true colours would show. It would be the ultimate test. Stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to his face. And so again... God agreed. He, he limited Satan's plan, but he agreed to it. And Satan went out and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Nobody really understands exactly what that skin disease was that Job had. But as we read through the, the rest of this book, we can see some of the symptoms of what he experienced. Severe itching insomnia, running sores with worms in them, foul breath, loss of weight, fever, and blackened and peeling skin. This was, hor this was horrible. So verse 8 says, Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it. As he sat among the ashes. What a pitiful sight. This was Job's rock bottom. He can't go any lower than this. 
Satan has done his worst. Job used to sit in the seat of honour in the public square. A man with impeccable reputation, a thriving business and a loving family. And now he's sitting in the local dump. The place outside the city gate where the rubbish is piled up and burned. And the only little tiny bit of comfort he can get is to scrape his skin with this broken piece of pottery. So why did God do all this? Why would God allow this to happen to his praiseworthy servant? Well, this was not because God didn't know how Job would respond. And it wasn't because of some sin in his life. Rather, it seems that it was because God believed that allowing Job to understand and demonstrate his glory was more important than Job's health and comfort. Do you get that? That God believed that allowing Job to understand and demonstrate his glory was more important than Job's health or comfort. Now, there's a lot of people who disagree with that. They claim that God's plan is always that we will be well. That God always wants to bring health and healing to his people today. And of course, there's, there's nothing wrong with trying to be healthy. As some of you know, I'm trying to make an, eff, um, an effort to eat a little bit healthily this year. Trying and holding on to that trying. And it's good to pray for good health. The Apostle John, in his third letter, he had this prayer. I pray that you may, be enjoy, that you may enjoy good health and that all may be, go well with you. 3 John chapter 2. So, praying for health is okay, is good. And so when we're sick, we're encouraged to come to God and pray for healing. This is what the Apostle Paul did for himself when he was, when he was afflicted by this, what he called a thorn in the flesh. This painful torment. He said, three times I plead with the Lord to take it away from me. So it's perfectly okay to try and look after our health and to pray for good health and to pray for healing. Absolutely. But sometimes God has a higher purpose. A higher plan. This was the case with Paul. He prayed for healing and God answered his prayer just not the way he expected. The Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Instead of physical healing to escape the pain, God provided his promised grace to help him work through the pain to see God's plan fulfilled in his life. 
This is what we see in Jesus' life too, isn't it? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus also prayed three times. My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. His soul was overwhelmed with the sorrow of what lay ahead as he looked to the cross where he would take the cup of God's wrath for us. And he desperately pleaded for rescue. But he also understood that God has a higher purpose than his comfort or safety. And so Jesus asked for rescue, but he submitted to his Father's will. And as a result, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are here. And as believers, we are called to follow in his footsteps. This is what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Following Jesus means that we're following him on the way of suffering. Sometimes we may be able to understand the reasons for this. Sometimes. It may be to protect us from some greater danger. Like it was for Paul. Paul's suffering protected him from the danger of pride and arrogance. It may be to refine our character and our faith. Jason was reminding us of that a couple of weeks ago. It may be to enable us to witness more powerfully to others of the hope and the peace that Jesus alone can give us. Sometimes we may be able to see good coming out of it, but often we can't. Often we're just going to be like Job. And we just don't know why this is happening. We don't get the answer to the why me. Instead, we're just called to accept that God has a higher purpose. To trust that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. That's really difficult to do. Especially as we watch our loved ones suffer. Job's wife struggled with this. She actually urged Job to do exactly what Satan said he would do. Are you still holding on to your integrity, she asked. Curse God and die. Now, we could be really hard on this woman. We could point out that Satan took all the good things away from Job's life, but he left him his wife. But that would probably be unfair, wouldn't it? 
This woman had gone through extraordinary loss. Overwhelming sorrow. She'd buried all ten of her kids on the same day. She'd lost her livelihood and her status in the community. And now her husband was a shell of a man. In desperate pain and agony. We could excuse her for wanting it just to be over. Just curse God and be done with it. I can't cope with this any this anymore. It's all too much job. We can understand why. It's difficult watching somebody suffer. So we need to be careful in those situations. That our longing for relief doesn't lead us to say something discouraging. Or especially that we might not repeat Satan's lies. Even in pain, we need to be careful what we say. As Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Even in those difficult situations, we need to be careful what we say. But thankfully, Job didn't follow his wife's advice. At this time anyway. He said, you're talking like a foolish woman. I think kindly, he didn't call her a foolish woman. Did you notice? He didn't say you're always a foolish woman, you're talking like one now again. He said you're talking like one. You're talking like one who doesn't understand. Who can't see something that's ultimately important. But Job could. Incredibly for Job, his health was not his wealth. His integrity and his reverence for God was more important to him. And so, in his brokenness, he held on to them both. And he accepted God's right to do whatever he wanted. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? That's difficult for us to get our head around, of course. If God is good, why doesn't he always do what we see as good? But it's a key point in this book. We haven't got the right, we haven't got the information, we haven't got the understanding to put God in the dock and judge him. Just because we can't see what God is doing, we can't understand the good he is doing, doesn't mean that he's not doing good. As a sovereign Lord, He is the one who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Everything. And we know that God's will is always good and pleasing and perfect. We might not be able to see that just now. But one day we will. James wrote, Be patient then, brothers. Until the Lord's coming. He knew that life was hard now. He knew that they were suffering now. But he knew that when Jesus comes back, then it will make sense. So he called them to wait. 
Don't rush to judge now. Wait until Jesus comes back and then you will see. Then you will understand. And to encourage them to do this, James pointed them to Job. He said, you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Don't judge too early. Wait for the Lord. He knows what He is doing. And what He is doing is always good. Because even when our circumstances and our experiences don't look like it, He is full of compassion and mercy. And how do we know that? How can we hold on to that truth when we're going through those times of suffering? Well, we do what we've done this morning in our communion time. We look to the cross and we see the one who loved me and gave himself for me. So of course we struggle when things go from bad to worse. Job did too. We'll see that in later weeks. But we can be encouraged. Our lives can still be praiseworthy even when we're in a mess. People say our health is our wealth, but we have something far more valuable than that. So God has a purpose, a higher purpose than just our health and our comfort. So let's not give up. Instead, let's wait on the Lord. Because despite how things look, our God is always good. He is full of compassion and mercy.